Now, how many of you want to be encouraged? How many of you know that encouragement is like oxygen to the spiritual man? Amen? Well, I swam here. I, I was coming down 35, and I hit a part where I couldn't tell where the road was and where the water was. And I just said, Jesus, I've got to be in church today. Here goes. So I slowed down and I made it. Those of you that are here today, you're going to get a special attaboy when you get to heaven because you came to church today. It's wet out there, but it's flowing in here as well. I sense the Spirit of God. It's so good. Let's, let's open our Bibles. I'm going to read a quick verse, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. And I want to talk to you today about being encouraged. If you need to be encouraged, say amen. How many of you like being encouraged? I think when we come to church, we ought to get encouraged. Amen? Now, we're going to read one verse. I don't think the one on the screen is the New King James. So you may want to act like you're looking at your Bible and then just read it off the screen. Well, let's read it together. It's one verse, but it's so good. So read it out with me, would you? But God, who encourages those who are discouraged. Stop right there. I want you to notice what it says about God. Now look what, how he says they were encouraged. God sent somebody to them, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Father, I thank you for the word of God today. I expect the word of God to change us. I expect the word of God to search us. I anticipate the word of God renewing our minds. Lord, I expect you to resurrect people out of the ashes of discouragement. Lord, I thank you for breathing fresh life into every person that made the journey to church and everyone watching by streaming video. Lord, I thank you that the Spirit of God, the quickener, is here. And Lord, I pray that we will not be the same as when we walked in these doors when we leave. But you will have done something, changed something, renewed something, resurrected something. Now, can you say with me today, write to the Lord, say, Lord, today speak to me. Change me by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, don't sit down until you've told somebody God's going to encourage you today. God's going to encourage you today. Now, this is a series as you can tell by the graphic behind me, where they do such a good job on the graphics. And it's a series. And it's been a series on encouraging words for discouraging times. And we've learned in the first two weeks, we learned first how to encourage ourselves. I'm telling you, that's a skill you can't do without. We all must know how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. David was a master at it, and we need to learn what he knew. And then the second thing we learned last week was how to encourage one another. Church is all about encouraging one another. We're supposed to come together not to gossip, not to slander, not to look at somebody's new suit or new dress, but we're here to encourage one another. Iron sharpens iron. We're here to encourage one another. That's one of the reasons God gave the local church. And today, I want to share with us how, to, how God encourages us. How do I allow God to encourage me? Because God wants to encourage you today. 
Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I do know if we were honest, many of you in here today are discouraged for a variety of reasons. Well, I'm going to share with you a word that if you'll hear it, I believe you'll go out of here encouraged in the Lord because our God is an encouraging God. I want you to notice what this verse tells us about God. But God who encourages those who are discouraged. You know, I learned a long time ago, it matters how you see God, what you believe about God, how you view God. Because some of you believe that God is furrow-browed, angry about most of the time, steam coming out of his ears, and he's up there in heaven just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can squash you like a June bug. That's not God. I'm going to read it again. But God who encourages those who are discouraged. So we're going to see today how God encourages us. Once upon a time, the devil decided to have a garage sale and sell all the tools of his trade. And so in the garage sale, here were the tools of his trade that he was selling. Envy, jealousy, hatred, deceit, pride, that's a good one, idolatry, and many others. And every one of the tools was marked with its own price tag. Then one day, on the day of the big sale, all his tools were neatly and attractively displayed. And over in the corner, way over yonder, over by itself, was a harmless-looking, wedge-shaped tool, very worn out, but it had a higher price tag than all the others. And somebody asked the devil, why is that one priced so high when it's more worn out than all the others? And the devil said, it's my favorite. I use it more than all the others. And so the person, of course, said, well, then what is it? Tell me what it is. What is that tool that you use more than all the other tools of your trade? And he said, it's discouragement. I use discouragement against God's people more than any tool in my trade. It's well-worn because it works on just about everybody. And I keep getting away with it. I keep getting by with it. I'm able to discourage the people of God, and so I just keep on using it. And folks, we live in a discouraging time, and that little story, though it's made up in fiction, it's true. I, if you were to ask me, Pastor Jeff, what, what does the devil use against God's people more than any single thing? I would have to say discouragement. We get discouraged, don't we? Life can be discouraging. And because discouragement is so prevalent in these last days, and, and the, the spiritual temperature of warfare has been ratcheted up so high, we've got to learn what we've been hearing the last few weeks. We must know how to encourage ourselves when nobody's around. Amen. And we must know how to encourage one another and not tear one another down. And we've got to learn, like we're going to learn today, how to let God encourage us because God wants to encourage you today. He doesn't want you discouraged. He wants you encouraged. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus never got uh, discouraged? Jesus never got discouraged. With all that happened to him, all the betrayal, all of the attack, all the slander, all of the words that were fired against him, all the lies that were told about him, even when his own disciples could not tarry one hour and pray with him, 
He was disappointed in them, but Jesus wasn't discouraged. You say, Jeff, how do you know that? Because Isaiah prophesied concerning Messiah, he shall not fail and he shall not be discouraged. Jesus never got discouraged. So you know what that tells me about Jesus? He knows how to encourage the discouraged because he never gave in to it. Though he was tempted to be discouraged, he's tempted in all points like we are, yet he never yielded to discouragement. Can you imagine that? Everybody is touched by discouragement at one time or another. I don't care how strong you think you are, how spiritual you are. You know that you have been and you can be discouraged. And so, the Bible is very honest about the people in it. And that's what I love about the Bible. It tells us the truth about its heroes. And I, and I took a little quick scan through the Bible. And I found that Moses was so discouraged he wanted God to kill him. Now that's discouraged. Kill me, God. I call that discouragement on steroids. Joshua was so prone to discouragement, he needed to be told constantly, be strong and have a good courage. Elijah also asked God to take his life. He was so discouraged, sitting under the juniper tree, out there in the wilderness. He, he looked up and he said, God, it's enough. Take my life. I'm not greater than my father's. He literally asked God to take his life. He was so discouraged. And, of course, the God who encourages the discouraged fed him angels' food took him to a cave and gave him a brand new assignment and brought him out of the pit of discouragement. Job was so discouraged he despaired of life. Even his own wife was telling him, curse God and die. That's a, that's a bad scene. Jeremiah was so discouraged he wanted to quit preaching. He said, I am so tired of being persecuted, so tired of people coming against me, so tired of being lied about. I'm not going to preach anymore. But as soon as he said it, he said, his word became like a fire shut up in my bones, and I got a bad case of the can't help it. Amen. You know, when you're called to preach, you can't help it. You must preach. But he was so discouraged, he said, I'm going to quit preaching. David suffered so many times of discouragement, great discouragement, as his psalms tell us over and over again. Simon Peter was so discouraged, he tried returning to his own life old life. He tried returning to fishing. He walked away. I'm going fishing. I messed up. I blew it. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed in myself. And he caught nothing. And you and I, if we try to return to our old life, let me tell you what you're going to catch. Nothing. There's nothing there for you. The only place for a disciple of Christ to go is forward in God. But all Christians get discouraged. Discouragement sets in when you've done the best that you can do, you believe God, you've prayed, and then you thought this was going to happen and that happens. You thought you were going to go here and you end up there. You thought things were going to look like this and now they look like that. And you are disappointed. Your faith is disappointed. As it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so you're discouraged. You're worn out. You're tired, lonely, disillusion. You feel like quitting. Now I'm going to share a truth with you about God. Let me tell you something about the God who sent his son. And I want you to remember this one statement. You ought to make it a refrigerator sticker when you get home. It's worth looking at. Are you ready? 
Here it is. When the devil is actively at work to discourage you, God is actively at work to encourage you. Now I want you to remember that. Matter of fact, let's just say it together. When the devil is at work to discourage me, God is at work to encourage me. He's wanting to encourage you right now, and I'm part of it. Because I'm going to share with you an encouraging word. How many of you want the encouragement of God today? Amen? So how does God then encourage us? Because it says he encourages the discouraged. Well, if he's an encourager of the discouraged, how does he do it? I'm going to share three ways that God does it with you. First, he encourages us with the promise of his presence. The promise of his presence. Don't you love the presence of God? You know, that's why I love worship, because he inhabits the praises of his people. And, and you know, you, you start out singing, and all of a sudden, whoosh, you're not alone. And, and that power of the Holy Spirit is there. And, and, and we're able to fellowship with him and enjoy his presence. You, you know, I believe one of the things that's going to make hell hell is the presence of God will not be there. And you know what I think is going to make heaven a heaven? The presence of God is going to be so thick you can cut it with a knife. The presence of God. And God encourages us when we get discouraged with the promise of his presence. Throughout the Bible, I noticed God encourages his people with these words. And, and it's repeated person after person. These words. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I am with you. Did you know one of God's names in Hebrew is Jehovah Shammah? meaning the Lord is there, or the Lord who is there. Now, God's presence is all throughout the world. We call it the omnipresence of God. His presence is all throughout the world. But listen, saints, not his manifest presence. His manifest presence is only with his people. It says the eyes of the Lord go throughout the entire world, beholding the evil and the good. That's the presence of God. David said, if I go to heaven, I can't get away from you. If I go down into hell, I still can't get away from you. If I sprout wings and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, even there your hand shall find me. You can't escape the eye of God. But listen, when it comes to the saints of God, there is a promise. My manifest presence is with you. I promise to be with you. My manifest presence. This is God's first step in encouraging us. He promises us his presence and his help. It's what he told Abraham. He told it to Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Mary, Paul, Peter, and many more. Here's the words. He said, don't be afraid, for I am with you. I am with you. Now, I believe he does that first for a reason. Here's the reason. It's our greatest need. When I'm in a trial, my greatest need is to know that he is with me, that he is there, that he is my Jehovah Shammah, the one who is there. Moses one day, God had told him to lead the people forward, and Moses said something I fully understand. He said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't make us go on from here. Lord, if you're not going to be with us, I'm not moving. 
I'm not taking one step until I know you are with me. I so understand that statement. Every work that I've ever undertaken for God, the first thing I want to know is, Lord, i got to know this. you got to tell me this right up front. Are you with me in this work? Because if you're not going with me, don't let me go. Keep me right where I am until I know that you're in front of me, behind me, beside me, above me, below me, and carrying me. i got to know that your presence, Lord, is with me. And when I know he's with me, I'm as bold as a lion. When I know he's with me, I can go through anything. I can walk through any valley. I can climb any mountain. I can survive any fire or flood. I can do anything when I know he's with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when he's with me. Amen. Thank God for his presence. Now, let me just make a little distinction here. He's not just with us in the trial. He's not just with you in the fire. He's not just with you in the oven. He's not just there when you're going through a valley, but he's in it with you. He's in it with you. Oh, I love the Lord. I love his word. You know, I tell myself on the, church, on the way to church today, I said, now, Jeff, today, it's raining real hard. Uh, uh, probably be a little bit light. There been, you know, some people will be gone. So why don't you try settling down a little bit? Why don't you try just being conversational? And I get up here and I start reading the Word, and I completely lose it. I can't help it because the Word of God moves me. The Word of God moves me. Listen, folks, the Word of God ought to move you. The Word of God ought to make you tremble. The Word of God ought to make you shout. The Word of God ought to make you hungry and thirsty. The Word of God ought to stand you on your feet and set you in a good path. The Word of God, it's a good Word. And people that aren't excited about the Word of God need to get that way. Well, I'm not going to become that way. I just think it sounds a little bit fanatical. Oh, please. People will put cheese on their head and paint their skin green and stand in the middle of a freezing winter to shout somebody down a field carrying a pigskin. If they can do that, I can shout over the Word of the Lord. Come on. So I want you to say with me, he's with me. In it. Listen to Deuteronomy 31.6. Moses told young Joshua, who needed to be encouraged, he said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, the Lord is in this journey with you. He's in the trial. He's in the testing. He's with you in the fiery oven. He's with you in the raging rivers. He's in it with you. Isaiah 41.10, this is one of my all-time favorite verses. It says, so do not fear, God says to us, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a great passage. You know, I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they were. They were in Babylon in a totally idolatrous culture. And Nebuchadnezzar was a megalomaniac. Nebuchadnezzar wanted himself to be worshipped. And so he built a great big statue to himself. 
And he commanded everyone in the kingdom of Babylon, when trumpets were blown, they were to bow down and worship this statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know what, king? We just can't do that. If God delivers us, then he'll deliver us. But if not, we still cannot bow down to you and commit idolatry and worship an image of you. We only worship God. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar commanded that the oven be turned up many times hotter than normal. This oven was so hot that when they took the three Hebrew children to throw them in the fire, it incinerated the ones who threw them into the fire. But they went in there tied up. They went down into that burning, fiery oven tied up. And down they went into this roaring, raging fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, don't know how much time went by, but he finally decided to look down there. And you know the rest of the story. All of a sudden, he noticed that there was a mystical, mysterious fourth man down there with them. He looks down there, he sees a mystical, mysterious fourth man. He said, didn't we throw three down there? And they said, yes, O king, we did. Then what is this fourth one that I see down there? And then he noted something. He said, the ropes that had tied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been burned off, but they're alive down there walking around with this fourth man. Now, the fourth man was a Christophany. That means it was an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament before he became a human being. It happened over and over again in the Bible. So you've got Jesus is down in that oven. And the Bible says the king looked down and said, Look, I see four men. Men, they're untied, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are unharmed. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Man. Now I want you to notice where he was. It says he's in the middle of the fire. He wasn't on the outside of the oven shouting down to them, hey guys, hang on, it's going to be okay, this will be done soon. No, the fourth man got in it. He got in it. He got in their fire, in their pain, in their trial, in their test. And he was walking around in the midst of the fire. And I want you to notice what happened. When the Son of God gets into your trouble with you. That which bound you is going to come loose. He burns off the ropes that bound you, the chains that held you, and you come out of the burning, fiery oven freer than when you went in. So everybody say, he's in it. The fourth man was in the middle of the fire with them. He was in it. And he's with you in it today, whatever it is for you. He's in it. He's not on the outside looking in. He's not hoping for the best for you. He's going to get in that fire with you, and he's going to strengthen you and encourage you. And that's encouraging to me. The presence of God is with me. Now, there's another way he encourages us. I love this. The Bible says he comforts us. He comforts us. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. He comforts us in all of our troubles. How many of them? All our troubles. He comforts us. Now, that word comfort means to encourage. When you see the word comfort in the Bible, it's totally synonymous with encourage. So we could, we could put it this way. He encourages us in all our troubles. 
It also means to be strengthened by consolation. And we are consoled by his word. So when we get into a trial, it's a guarantee, it's a promise. It's not a hope so, maybe so, perhaps so. But it's a promise, when I'm in a trial, when I'm in the fire, when I'm struggling, when I don't think I can take another step, when I'm worn out, when I'm beat down, when I am really discouraged, it says God encourages by strengthening and consoling us and comforting us in the Holy Ghost. And Bible comfort, just to be clarified, make a little distinction here. Bible comfort is not the same word as our word comfortable. It has nothing to do with comfortable. God does way more for us than make us comfortable when he comforts us. Now, I love being comfortable. Some of you love these chairs because they have lumbar backs and you're more comfortable. If we put metal chairs in here, some of you would find another church because you're not comfortable enough. I've got a chair in my house. Then when I come home from preaching and I'm tired and I'm drained, I, I look for that chair. I go straight for that chair. I get in that chair. That chair is shaped by, like me now. I get in that chair. And I just love leaning back and just saying, oh, Lord, thank you for what you did today. And I really like it when I open my eyes and my dogs are all in their little beds in the living room. And they're comfortable too. And I look over at the couch and Kathy is sitting there and she's comfortable too. And we just have a great, big, happy, comfortable house. I love that. But that is not what he's saying here. He's not saying God makes you comfortable. No, no. The word comfort is way stronger than that. When God comforts you in your trial, he speaks a word to your heart. Have you ever noticed that one word from God can stand you on your feet? One word from God can put the zest back in your step. One word from God. God can put the sparkle back in your eye, can, can get you up and moving again. One word from God can chase away the fog and remove the blues from your soul. One word, from, and that's what he does. He speaks a word, and that's how he comforts us and encourages us. And when God speaks that word, he strengthens your faith he puts oil in your lamp. He lifts your depression. He restores your hope. He clarifies your calling, and he lightens your path. When God speaks a word, Bible comfort comes when God speaks a word to your heart, and that one word from God turns night into day and stands you on your feet again. Bible comfort pulls you off the sidelines and gets you back into the game. That's Bible comfort. The Bible literally calls our God the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort, meaning the God of all strengthening, the God of all encouraging. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and say it with me, God of all comfort. Let's try that again. Some of you weren't with me. One, two, three. God of all comfort. That's our God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? Amen. He's the God of all comfort. Isaiah says, I, even I, this is God speaking through the prophet, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass? Don't fear the opinion of men. When you're being persecuted, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Yes. He comforts us through the peace that passes all understanding. You know what that means? 
You go through a heavy, everything around you is going crazy. You're in major negative circumstances. You're in a storm in life, and yet you've got peace, and that doesn't make sense to a logical mind. How can you have peace in the middle of all this trouble? Because it's the peace that passes all logical understanding. It comes from God. It is supernatural. I can have peace in the middle of a storm, peace in the middle of a burning, fiery oven. I can have God's peace. It passes understanding. And the Bible says, and this is free, I'm going to throw this in. The Bible says God never wastes a pain. You never go through anything that is painful that God allows to go to waste. It says he steps into our pain and trouble, into it, into it. He's with us in it, and he encourages us. And then it says, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort, encouragement, strengthening that God gave us. God said, you going through pain today? Hang on. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to make it serve me. I'm going to work it to my glory. I'm going to bring about that you become a great encourager because you were encouraged. You know, encouraged people encourage people. Strengthened people strengthen people. And so God is going to make you, as he has me, a stronger encourager because of what you've been through. And he brought you out on the other side, and you've got a testimony. And you know what a testimony is. It's when you've had a test and some moaning. You get a testimony when you go through some tests and some moaning. But then you've got a testimony. And a testimony is to the glory of God. And it's going to strengthen other people. God never wastes a pain. So he encourages us by the promise of his presence, the comfort of his word. And I want to share one last thing. He encourages us by the gentleness of his dealings. Gentle Jesus. Listen to how Isaiah the prophet describes Jesus. He said, the Messiah is coming. Let me tell you what he's going to be like. He said, he will not crush the bruised reed. He will not put out a flickering candle. Now, there's two types of people described here in those metaphors. One is bruised. The other is burned out. The bruised reed, the flickering candle, bruised and burned out. Two types of people. First, let me look at the bruised reeds. We've all been at a lake or a pond or a creek where you see those reeds sticking up out of the water. And I th- in Texas, they're called cattails. And they're sticking up out of the water, and, and, and there's usually a great big bunch of them. And, and if, if you'll look at them closely, you'll notice that some of them have been broken. They're bent. They're broken. They're bruised. And he's using those cattails, those reeds, to describe people. And he's saying the discouraged person is is like one of those bruised reeds. That's what they're like. The bruised reed has received a wound. Something has struck it. Maybe an animal has stepped on it or a storm has assailed it. But whatever it was that that came on that reed, the, the reed now is bent. It's broken, it's bruised, it's, it's, it's not what it used to be. The word bruised means that which is broken or crushed, but not entirely broken off. In other words, it's still alive, it's just bruised, it's limping through life. 
It droops. It can't stand upright. It's bent. It's damaged, but it's still alive. And it's the picture of a person who has been bruised, who's been bruised by life. Life bruises you. I don't care if you're saved, spirit-filled, and have been since you were two years old in your mother's arms. Uh, you, you still get hurt by life. Somebody walks out on you. Somebody betrays you. Somebody hurts you. Something doesn't go your way. Life happens. Something unexpected comes your way, and it bruises you, and it hurts you, and it breaks your heart, and it shatters you, and it, and it, 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 it challenges your faith. A storm comes and wounds you, somebody walks away, and now you're bent down by discouragement, the bruised reed. You can't stand upright, meaning you can't walk in your full potential in God because you've been hurt or crushed. You're limping. There are people that come, come in here all the time, bleeding on the inside, because life has happened. And I'm not going to tell you a lie that if you get saved, everything's going to be fine. You're not going to have any trials. It's all going to be one great big happy bubble. That's a big lie. Paul was hurt. Peter was hurt. John was hurt. Jude was hurt. James was hurt. Jesus was hurt. Now hold that thought for a minute. Let me go to the candle. The candle that once burned brightly but now only flickers is that person who has lost their zeal. You're the one that used to walk through the door every time the doors were open. You witnessed to everything that moved and sometimes things that didn't move. You were excited about Jesus, always in the Word, always in prayer, always talking up God. And then something happened. Life happened. Decisions were made. And the candle now, as described by Isaiah, is flickering. We've all seen it. You've got a bright, shining candle. When it gets down to the end, there's that little bitty bare flicker. It's just about to go out. And that's you. The oil in your lamp is low. You have little strength left, and the flame of spiritual fire that used to identify you and shine brightly is now that fading flicker. You feel like you're about to go out, and you know what that is? That's burnout. We call that burnout. We call it burnout. Life has taken its toll. Here's what happened more than likely. You were so busy with the work of the Lord, you didn't spend time with the Lord of the work. Because when we spend time with the Lord of the work, we replenish the oil in our lamp. Like the song says, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. So when we spend time with Jesus, the oil is replenished. But when you get so busy with life and distractions and worries and cares that that time with him fades away, then you wake up one day and the thrill is gone and the zest is gone and the zeal is gone. And you've got to make yourself go to church because you don't feel like going to church. What used to be fire is now duty. In both cases, listen to what it says about Jesus. The bruised reed, he will not break. Here you are, bruised reed. Oh, I made such terrible mistakes. I'm so broken. I've been so hurt. Surely, oh no, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Surely he's going to finish me off. Surely he's going to finish me off because of my condition. He's just going to finish me off. And he comes up and he speaks a word. 
you're going to get up again. You're going to live again. You're going to walk in the calling again. You're going to have fire again. You're going to have joy again. You're going to have that divine want to do again. I am not here to crush you. I'm here to gently restore you. And that's encouragement. So rather than being harsh and demanding, he's gentle. And then he comes to the flickering flame. And we think he's going to say, my, look at you. You used to burn. What am I going to do with you? I think I'll just shelf you because you let this happen to you. Why would you let this happen? And we picture Jesus kind of getting onto our case. But it says, he will not quench the flickering flame. But the gentleness of Jesus will speak a word, and he'll fan into flame again the fire that used to identify you. Well, Jeff, where do you get that? I'm going to close with this quick story. Two men on the road to Emmaus. Now, they have, if, if anybody's discouraged in the New Testament, it's them. They watch their hero get beaten beyond recognition, be hung on a cross, died. They watched him taken down, and their dream and their vision and their hero perished all in one moment. They're confused. They're disillusioned. They don't know what to do. Jerusalem is just too confusing for them. So they say to each other, let's get out of town. Let's take a break. Let's go to Emmaus and, and, and chill out. And they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And as they're walking along, a stranger comes up to them. He said, hey. Now, this is the revised Wickwire version. Hey, what's up? Are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what has just transpired with Jesus and Nazareth? And they begin to witness to Jesus about Jesus. And then Jesus says to them, let me tell you something. Oh, slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. And it says he opened up the Bible to them and shared with them from Moses down through all the prophets everything concerning him. And all of a sudden, they're at Emmaus. After this wonderful walk and talk with this stranger, they're at Emmaus, and he acts like he's going to go on. And they say, oh, no, no, please don't leave. We've we got to like talking to you. Come join us. So they go in, they sit at a table, they take a piece of bread, they break it, and their eyes are open, and they realize that it's Jesus, and he disappears. And then they said something. Oh, it was him. Did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us by the way and open to us the scriptures. They had Holy Ghost heartburn. The only heartburn you want is Holy Ghost heartburn. They had Holy Ghost heartburn. Their heart was on fire when it had been a barely flickering candle when he walked up to them. When he walked away, it was a raging fire. He had fanned the flame by ministering the word of God. He was gentle Jesus with them. And he is with you today. Can we stand together? Now, I want you to say with me, God encourages me by the promise of his presence, the comfort of his word, and the gentleness of his dealings. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I receive your encouragement for me. I receive the encouragement of God on my life. I receive your encouragement, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, those of you that have been discouraged, I want you to say, Lord, I give you my discouragement. I give it to you, and I receive your encouragement. Say with me, I'm not going down. 
I'm going through. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Faithful is he that calls me who also will do it. And he that has begun a good work in me is going to finish it in Jesus' name. Now give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.